Our reading this evening is from 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 20, which is page 271 in the Church Bibles. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimites. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and do not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So, in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon, everyone. As Stu said, my name is Ben, and I'm the student pastor here, and I have the privilege of continuing our series through uh, Prayers God Loves to Hear uh, with You. Just want to reiterate a warm welcome to uh, guests this evening and to anyone joining us on the live stream. I don't know if we always treat it this way, but I actually think that prayer is one of the most essential parts of the Christian life. That prayer is one of God's ordained ways for us to get through suffering and unfulfilled longings in life. Read the book of Psalms and you'll see people turn in prayer. I mean, the Psalter is the Old Testament book of prayers. 
turn in prayer to God when they're facing grief or attacks, challenges in life, when they're facing hardships, griefs, financial catastrophes. Prayer is how God's people manage to get through these times of life. And our focus today, because we're looking at different prayers throughout the Old Testament and eventually the New Testament, our focus today is on a prayer that someone prays who's in deep anguish, someone who is suffering bitterly because she has an unfulfilled longing. And I think that this passage is going to be uh, painfully relevant to all, to most, if not all of us today. I think the Bible is honest about the challenges and struggles that we face in this life, and this story is one example of how God is engaging with a particular person facing a particular crisis that we can each relate to with our own longings. But by looking at this passage, which I encourage us all to do now together, we will see that a weeping woman in anguish is transformed into a joyful woman of action through this prayer. And it's that transformation that I want us to eventually get to once we go through this valley that Hannah is experiencing. So we're going to look at her uh, faith, we're going to look at her life together uh, and do this uh, by looking at three things she teaches us about prayer. The first is that we should keep coming to God. The second is that we should be honest with God about our longings. And third, we should give our longings to God. So first, Hannah teaches us that we should keep coming to God. The first thing we notice in this story is that Hannah keeps coming to the Lord. She keeps bringing her longings to him. Look with me uh, at verse 7, and keep your Bibles open because we'll be going back and forth a lot. If you look in verse 7, it says, This went on year after year, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord. Even in her pain, Hannah continually goes back into God's presence to seek him. And to understand what an incredible act of faith this actually is and what she was undergoing to do it, it's important for us to look at her context, right? Uh, Philly just read a quite difficult passage of the Old Testament with all those names, but if I could just um, narrow it down, the family in focus here is Elkanah, the husband, who's married to two women, Hannah and Panina. And this story captures the deep longings and the brokenness that exists in this family dynamic. And it's worth saying, just as an aside, that the Bible does include a lot of stories with polygamous relationships. But what's important to note is not once is there a, fa a polygamous family that is actually flourishing. And every time the Bible highlights the, the struggles that come, particularly for the women involved. So I just want to point out that, uh, you know, if we learn how to read Old Testament narrative, we see that actually Scripture is, is um, not affirming this. But let's look at the family. First, and most clearly, there's Hannah. Hannah's barren, unable to have the children that she longs for. And the text is full of her heartache. I mean, it's just dripping out of almost every verse. If you look at verse 10 with me, it says that in her deep anguish, which literally means pain of the soul, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She's crying out. She's wailing because of her pain. But actually, the strongest word to describe her state of being is in uh, verse 6. In verse 6, it says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, 
kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Now, the Hebrew word there that our English translations um, translate as irritate is actually a word normally used to describe storms and thunderstorms and hurricanes. So this is not just she's kind of put off kilter. This is her entire emotional state is like a hurricane. It's roaring. It's thundering. That's the, the state that Hannah is in because she's desperately longing to be a mother. Well, then there's Penina, the second wife. She has children, at least four, because the text says uh, sons and daughters. So she has that longing, but she has a different longing. Her longing is for her husband who loves another woman. And because of the pain that she's experiencing there, she actually lashes out against Hannah. That's what we saw in verse 6. She's lashing out to whip up this emotional hurricane in Hannah's soul because, by, by rubbing Hannah's nose in the fact that she doesn't have children. And then third, we see Elkanah. He tries to comfort Hannah in verse 8. You know, he says, why are you weeping? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I think his heart is in the right place, but it seems he doesn't fully understand why she's hurt, Hannah's hurting the way she is. And yet he has a longing for his wife. So while he may be doing okay, his longing is for this woman who he loves to get out of this pain that she's in. So we have three people, each with a deep longing and this passage focuses, on, focuses in on Hannah and says that Hannah, every year, is continuing to make the journey to the house of the Lord. And before we even get to the content of the prayer in, in the next couple of points, I just want us to pause and focus on the act that Hannah is choosing deliberately to come into God's presence with her pain, to praise him, to thank him, to enjoy him, the one who could heal her, the one who could give her this longing. And that doesn't always happen. I'm sure we all know people who, because of some life circumstance, because um, they something's led them to think that God is either not good or God is, either, is otherwise not all-powerful, and therefore he's not worth following. But what about us? What happens when a particular longing or particular pain rises up in our lives, how, how do we respond? And this isn't to condemn because this is incredibly hard, but it's just the, the scripture speaking to us through Hannah, uh, giving her, us her as an example to look at that she's coming to the presence of the Lord, but in our cases, does it, does it act as a fence? You know, does it keep us from coming to him? Does it, it, does it become a justification for a particular lifestyle or a particular choice? How, how do we let these longings in our life influence us and sometimes keep us from the one who can actually bring about healing or peace in these storms. So the first thing Hannah does is she comes to the Lord. The second thing she does is that she's honest with God about her longings. She's honest with God about her deep heart aching longings. In verse 10 it says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord and as she was praying, weeping bitterly. When Hannah goes to God, she's completely open. She doesn't hold back. She is herself before the Lord, and she pours herself out. 
She pours herself out. That's what it says in verse 15. She says, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. It's like she, it's like her whole life is this jug, and she is just pouring the entire contents out before the Lord. And why can she do this? Well, let's look at the content of her prayer in verse 11. And as she begins to pray, the first half of her prayer, I just want us to notice that what she's praying about here is God. The entire first half of her prayer is about God. She's doing theology. She's pouring her situation into the reality of who God is. So she notices, she, she prays into two attributes of God. The first thing she does right at the beginning is she affirms God's power and might. I don't know about you and, and how you begin your prayers. Maybe you say God, maybe you say Father, and, and perhaps all of us can sometimes be a little trite or, or rote as we do that. But that's not how Hannah prays. When Hannah prays, she addresses God as the Lord Almighty, which means Lord of armies. And she's, in fact, the first person recorded in Scripture to refer to God this way. When she prays to God as, as Lord Almighty, she is re referring to his power, to his majesty, to his glory, to the fact that he's the creator. Hannah, the theologian, is pouring herself into the all and before the all-powerful God of the universe. But on the other hand, Hannah affirms God's love and kindness. She goes on and, sa and says, look on your servant's misery and remember me, which presumes or trusts that God does care, that an obscure woman in a third-rate country, it's not even a country yet, um, matters to God. That's what, what she is believing and trusting in as she prays. So Hannah remembers who God is, and then she honestly and utterly pours, pours her situation into his presence. And friends, that's what we can do too with our particular longings. I know in this room, there must be so many longings that we each have, so many unfulfilled desires that we each have within us, perhaps making our own emotional storm. And through Hannah's example, the Lord is saying, I want to, to know. I want you to share. And there's so many, we, we couldn't mention them all, but maybe let's just touch on a few that are probably more common. Right? The first one might be that there may be, a, that some of us may have a longing for children. There may be some here who, like Hannah, are unable to have children of, of, of your own. And, and, and just, just like Hannah's unable to. There are others here who maybe you do have children, but your longing is for your children because either they're going through a difficult time or because um, they're, they're walking from the Lord or perhaps you're estranged from them. And what hurts your children is what hurts you most. For others of us, it may be, um, it, it may be that we find ourselves with unwanted singleness. And that's not to say that that's true for everyone. Some people you know, choose this, and it may even feel called to singleness. But for others of us, that's not a reality that we want, and that could be for a variety of reasons that one finds themselves there, maybe because you've never found someone, maybe because of your sexuality and trying to live out faithfully uh, to the Lord, uh, maybe because you're waiting for a Christian. But this could be a, 
a longing here in our church. Another one would be a longing for a career, a job, you know, a, a way to provide, a way to make a difference in the world. And perhaps just at this point in your life, you just haven't found that or you haven't gotten to the place yet where you thought, you know, by this point, I thought I would be here. And finally, just thinking of the boy at New Wine, there's a longing for physical healing. And this could be um, a, a um, part of the body that's failing. It could be um, a, an ache that won't go away. It could be big, it could be small, but just a longing for physical healing. And I don't mention these to just raise these up, but because I think that this passage, God's word to us, is inviting us to name these and to bring them to the Lord. So these are just examples to, 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 to exemplify what God is wanting us to bring to him. So Hannah pours out her soul to God, not for a quick fix, not uh, because it's going to immediately be better, but because God is welcoming that as Lord Almighty who loves us and knows us. Well, what's the third thing she does? The third thing Hannah does is that she gives her longings to God. She gives her longings to God. Hannah keeps coming to God. Hannah pours out her longings. And as she does, she takes that emotional hurricane whipping around inside of her, and she brings it into the presence of God. And by doing so, she's changed, and her deepest desires are changed. Look at the rest of her prayer with me in verse 11. You know, it kind of sounds like bargaining at first. <laughs> She says, uh, if you will not forget, not forget me, but give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will, will ever be used on his head. Hannah is, Hannah is saying, if you give me a son, I'll give him to full-time ministry. And that can sound like bargaining, that can sound like manipulation, could even sound like scheming, like I haven't tried this one yet. This time, if I promise that I'll give him back, then God, he just can't pass on that deal. That's what it can strike us as. But that's not what Hannah's doing. This prayer is actually a radical decision in which she makes God her deepest longing. This is the prayer where Hannah says, my deepest and most heartfelt desire is you, God. How do we know this? How do we know that that's what she's getting at? Well, there's at least two ways. The first one is a bit about the haircut. Um, what that means in context is she's referring to the Nazarite vow, which is a way that an Israelite who is not a Levite and therefore part of the priestly order could become a priest or you might say like an associate priest in the house of the Lord. And Hannah was saying that I will give my son to become a Nazarite. But the reason why we know that this couldn't mean that she has the same primary desire is because as soon as her son becomes a Nazarite, she would no longer get the things for which she longed through him. You know, there won't be the economic benefit that was enormous in that day of having someone to be on the farm or to raise up for the family business and take care of you in old age. She wouldn't get the social status where other women are walking around like Penina with their children, but she wouldn't have that. Not even the biological or emotional benefit of literal hugs and kisses every day because her boy would now be in Shiloh where she might see him once a year. But she gives that up 
for something else. That's the first reason why I think her desire changes. But the second reason is because Hannah, that, that we know is Hannah's making God her deepest desire, is because of what happens after her prayer. If you look at verse 18 with me, it says, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. What? I mean, she's, she's eating again? The emotional hurricane has all of a sudden died down after this prayer? Nothing's happened. Yes, we, the readers, know that God will give her a son, but she doesn't know that yet. In fact, what's happening here is she's praying, she has peace, and then she gets pregnant. And if her core desire, if her deepest desire was a child, then it would go pray, pregnancy, peace. But it goes peace, then pregnancy. And that's because her deepest longing is God. Through this prayer, she now sees that the most important thing to her is actually pursuing God, pursuing this Lord of the universe who bends down and knows her. And now all other desires, including her desire for the son, which I should say, it's not any less. It's just desire for God is now more. But all other desires are now there for him. That's what she's praying. That's what she's saying in this prayer. And this is the key to experiencing the same transformation that Hannah experiences here about making God the thing you love most. So Hannah shows us three things, three ways that we can bring our longings, that we can handle our longings to, to the Lord. The first is we can keep coming to God. The second is that we can be honest with God about our longings. And third, that we can give our longings to God. That's how we can get the kind of prayer that turns this woman in anguish into this woman, this joyful woman of, of action. And when do we want this? Isn't this the kind of anchor that we want through life's storms when we are experiencing these unfulfilled longings inside? Like, don't we want to have a place, a harbor to go to, to seek refuge? And yet, if I just ended here and said, go and do likewise, go and follow these three tips, these three steps for, for dealing with unfulfilled longings, how would we fare? I don't know about you, but I don't think it would quite work for me. And I don't think it worked for Hannah, except for the fact that there was something else here, that there was something else that she knew and that she was trusting in, a power, you might say a resource that she was drawing upon to say, yes, God, I really, really want this but I care more about you and being part of your redemptive work in the world. And what is that? I think is that we need to trust in the one to whom Hannah points. We need to trust in the one to whom Hannah points. So we didn't read it, but I think it's really crucial to take a moment to look at Hannah's song in chapter two, Hannah's song in chapter two, because it tells us about the experience she had with God that we can have too. And in chapter two, I, I won't read the whole the whole song, but Hannah breaks out in praise, praising God for how he works in human lives. She says things like, the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. In this beautiful song, Hannah praises God's pattern of working through weakness to bring salvation. God's pattern 
of working through weakness to bring salvation. She says, God lifts the needy from the ash heap, the ash heap being that place out of the city, out of the town where all the rubbish was taken and burnt. With the lowest of the low were, God goes there and raises them up. And think about how many times in Scripture God chooses to work through the weak or the vulnerable to accomplish His purposes. Some of the great figures of redemptive history like Isaac and Samson and Samuel and John the Baptist were all sons of barren women who through the power of God gave birth. Which is to say that Hannah realized and we can realize that God can use our weakness. He wants to use our weakness if we let him. And our weakness, like Hannah's, might even be the way that God brings us, draws us to himself. And then Hannah ends this song with what I think is the most important line. She says in verse 10, He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And at this point, Israel doesn't have a king. So she's singing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, looking forward to the anointed king, the Messiah. This was going to be David, but I think she's actually looking beyond David here to another figure. How do we know that? Well, skip a many hundred years forward, and there's another woman who bears a child through the power of God who sings a song. This is Mary Magnificat, and this song echoes Hannah's song here, but Mary, so she's thinking about this pattern of, of God working through weakness to achieve salvation, but she, Mary, is singing about the climax, Jesus, of this pattern of God working through weakness to bring life. So Isaac and Samson and the others were born to barren women through the power of God, but now Jesus is born to a virgin woman through the power of God. So more clearly than ever, God is saying, my salvation comes by my strength. You cannot accomplish your own salvation, but I can. Jesus comes as a poor man. He doesn't have a home. Now, at the end of the life, at the end of his life, he's beaten, he's tortured, and he's killed. He's put to death outside the city in the ash heap on a cross. Do you know what that means? Jesus is saying once and for all that I, God, work through weakness. I achieve my salvation by grace. And this changes everything. Because if Jesus had come in strength and said, well, if you do X, Y, and Z, and if you live up to the standard, well, then maybe God will have mercy on you. But God, but God comes in Jesus through weakness, which means that anyone, any of us here who acknowledges our, our shortcomings and our brokenness and our longings to him can have this relationship through Jesus, and that Jesus died on that cross to pay for the penalty of our sin by taking the punishment for us so that the doorway would be open so that we could have that relationship with the Lord. So our salvation, our peace, is not based on anything that we do. It's based on what Christ has done for us. It's not based on how many children we have or what kind of marriage we have or what job or body or so forth. But our salvation is purely based on what Christ has done. And when we rest on Jesus, God looks at us and he says, I'm your wealth to the poor. He says, I'm your righteousness to the morally failed. And he says, I'm your husband to the lonely. Our longings will begin to be met and will one day be fully met 
when we don't just emulate Hannah as an exemplar, but when we believe in the one to whom Hannah points, the ultimate son of promise, the ultimate impossible, impossible birth, the ultimate savior. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you have come to bring salvation, to bring peace to those who have no other avenue, have no other way of making it. And we just pray now, Lord, that as we spend some time reflecting on, on this passage together, that you would help us to courageously bring our longings to you, knowing that you, Lord Almighty, know us and love us and have demonstrated that to the utmost through your Son who died for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.